Hello and welcome to another episode of the Textop Talks podcast, where we gather experts to talk about a range of topics from education right through into the workplace. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe to Textop Talks through your preferred streaming service so you never miss an episode. Remember, if you want to get involved in the conversation online, you can use the hashtag Textop Talks. I'm Greg O'Connor, Head of Education for Asia Pacific here at Textop, and today I'm looking forward to diving into maths, teaching, and learning. Here at Textop, part of our global, uh, part of our goal is to help everyone understand and be understood, and that involves breaking down barriers to learning across all subjects. Now, recently in Australia, there's been a lot of discussion around maths, teaching, and learning. Namely, how can, we, how can we reverse the mass slump that some are suggesting we appear to be in? But I'm not going to, but we're not going to spend time today reflecting on NAPLAN or benchmarks. What we want to do is we want to look ahead and talk solutions. With the Australian Association of Mathematics Teachers 2021 conference just around the corner, it's my pleasure to be joined by their CEO, Alan Dugan, to touch on this year's theme, Future Proofing. G'day, Alan. Hey, Greg. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, it's, I'm really looking forward to this session because uh, it's definitely been a topic of discussion in the last, well, last 12 months. Hey, before we jump in, maybe i just get you to, you know, to tell us a bit about yourself and particularly about the conference that's coming up. Sure. So, as you said, my name is Alan Duggan. I am CEO of the Australian Association of Mathematics Teachers. Uh, and you can probably tell from my accent that I am not originally from the um, southern half of the globe. Uh, I grew up in Scotland, Glasgow, uh, born and bred, became a maths teacher there, uh, spent some time in, in schools there in classroom and leadership positions before um following a female to the southern hemisphere and um, I talked down here for a while before moving into some ed tech spaces and then ultimately into this role and so um, yeah I'm, I'm really excited to, to have a conversation today as you say Greg um, our conference this year is, is September 29 and 30 so literally just around the corner and we we made a decision at the start of the year to to um to call it future proofing and to go for a theme of future proofing we we know how challenging and difficult the last 18 months 20 months have been um for everyone not just teachers not just students not just parents but but society and as we look ahead um and obviously we want to look ahead through the lens of, of maths learning and teaching but as we look ahead how do we future proof what does the future look like how do we answer some of the big questions and i think as you touched on there's some real pertinent and, and often controversial conversations happening just now you know here in australia we're in the middle of a of a curriculum review or revision there's obviously been some some um, views expressed and some some debate happening around that and I'm sure we'll touch on that but there's also just a, a whole kind of conversation around how do we move maths forward what's the role of maths what's the role of maths in the future uh, that I think is a really pertinent and significant conversation for us to have and so we're really excited um, about the conference we're really excited about exploring some of these concepts, ideas, questions, um, maybe answering some questions and maybe posing some more questions that we don't yet fully know the answers to or, or we can kind of think about and wrestle with together. 
Yeah, yeah. And I guess you're kind of talking about future-proofing. You've had to future-proof your conference because it wasn't going to be uh, live, but it's actually a virtual conference this year. Yeah. So, look, I, I, I joined WMT back in December of last year, uh, right in the middle of, of the pandemic. And, and look, at that point in time, Australia was in a very um, fortunate phase in the suppression model. And, and we had had a decision at that point in time where it looked like we were potentially going to go ahead with a face-to-face and one of the first kind of conversation pieces that I was involved in was do we go face-to-face do we go hybrid or do we go fully online and and um, I kind of came to the conclusion that there was just so much uncertainty that I thought let's go for a virtual one where we can build in certainty that this is going to happen and and we can engage with people who sometimes can't necessarily uh, make it to a conference because you know they, they've got to travel and it's cost prohibitive mm. so and that, so this time what we're finding is we've got a, a a good registration base from from normal if you like delegates who would normally come to face to face um but we've also got um delegates from overseas and and some some more rural regional and and remote teachers and educators joining us and look I think one of the things that that we probably all acknowledge at this point in time particularly if we are experiencing the second wave as we are on the east coast of of, of Australia and from for other parts of the world we're kind of entering a third wave question mark and I think one of the things we acknowledge is that the challenge of zoom fatigue and the challenge of sitting in front of a computer um, and, and engaging and so we're trying to really be quite creative and, and novel in some of the things that we're, we're doing around conference. We're trying to make it engaging. We all know that that one of the, well, for me, the conferences that I've been to over the years, some of the most fruitful and enlightening and, and engaging conversations have come over coffee or the, yeah. the drinks reception in the evening. Yeah. And so we're trying to make sure that there's space for that because we know that that's important as well as the keynotes, as well as the sessions, as well as the connections. Yeah. So, yeah, so we have future-proofed the conference. That was, um, I'd love to say that was by foresight and, and good planning, but it was probably by chance more than anything else. If we were still in a suppression, a successful suppression, suppression model, I suspect we'd be sitting here going, why are we not doing face-to-face? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, so so you've met some challenges. That, that actually kind of makes me kind of just ask you just about challenges and, and mathematics teaching in general. This is a kind of a broad question. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of pick it apart a bit, but... What do you see as the biggest challenges facing maths teachers and educators across Australia today? Look, I think there's the I think there's the obvious ones, um, and there's the obvious kind of challenges that are that kind of almost sit outside of space and time and sit outside of of subject. Um, you know, the the generic challenges that are facing educators in Australia and across the world, the increasing complexity of the learning and teaching role. They increase workload and the challenges in that space. That's an ongoing um, challenge that has been around for a while and it seems to become more complex. And I think in the last 18, 19 months, that complexity has grown much faster than it has in the past. We sit in a space where we were almost required to pivot and that word pivot is just used everywhere now yeah. um, but we were required to pivot to online remote learning and teaching almost overnight um, but I think that's like asking us to to turn a, an oil tanker around on a on a 10 cent coin you know there was a real challenge in that space and we're still 
in that space of trying to understand the the consequences and implications and learnings from that and what that means moving forward. Now, I think if we drill down and we start to to think about maths teachers and maths education specifically in terms of the challenges, um, I think the same one that existed when I was at school um, probably still exists just now. It just exists in a different form. And that's one of relevance and engagement. You know, as as a mathematics teacher one of the saddest statements that I got and and all maths teachers out there will this will resonate with them and and, and you get it regularly is that question of so what's the point of this mm. or what's why will I use this or where does it fit in and and that's the most disheartening um question or statement to be made made and I think there's a real conversation um that continues to happen around the relevance and engagement of the subject. I think we add that alongside the the kind of conversation that's happening just now about the review of the curriculum. And look, that's creating a significant amount of noise. That's creating a significant amount of debate and conversation in the public space. And and I think in many respects, um, it's creating lots of healthy dialogue amongst educators. And I know that it's trying to create or at points it seems like it's trying to create divide. But in actual fact, I think that everyone who's discussing mathematics learning and teaching, discussing the reviews of the curriculum, the, the end point and the desire of every educator is the same. We want our young people to be effective engagers with their mathematics learning and therefore be able to use mathematics competently when they leave school, whether that be as a career mathematician or whether that be just as a, a casual, in inverted commas, user of mathematics in their everyday life, we need them to be competent. And so I think we have to remember as we have these conversations and debates around learning pedagogies, around um, curriculum content and, and progression, that we all actually are coming at it with the same desire. And I think that that makes the conversation and debate a much more um, effective and successful and therefore useful um, conversation piece. Yeah, I agree that, that kind of it's out in the public domain we're having this conversation. Back to that piece that you talked about, about relevance engagement, and you talked about kids saying, so what do I need to do this? I'm not going to use this ever again. The other the other part of that for me is I, I do, uh, my background is working with a lot of kids who meet a lot of barriers in their schooling. And for a lot of those students, they have barriers around literacy and other things. But one of the barriers I find they encounter when it comes to mathematics particularly is that they're told uh, in lots of different ways that they're no good at mathematics. Mm. And then the people that surround them tell them, oh, I was never good at mathematics. Mm. Don't worry about that. Absolutely. And I think we're talking about the accessibility. Of yeah. it. And, and again, you know, I, I, I often joke that the reason I moved to Australia was so that I didn't have to have the pub conversation with people that I went to school with where they ask that question you bump into someone that you've not seen for 20 years and they say to you what do you do and you say I'm a maths teacher and the tumbleweed kind of drifts down the top <laughs> of the bar or yeah. or, the, or or otherwise what they say is oh I could never do maths at school you must be really smart yeah. and and we they create that elitist framework around mathematics learning or I think about the number of parent teacher interviews that I've sat in over the years where the parents would go 
if the if the young person is capable in the math space, they go, I don't know where they got their their ability to do maths because I was never good at it. Mm. Or if the parent perceived them not to be good at maths, go, oh, don't worry, I wasn't good at maths either. And one of the things I find really frustrating about that is that in to some extent, for some reason, it's societally acceptable for us to say and almost boast that we are not good at mathematics. But it's absolutely not acceptable for us to say the same about literacy. You don't hear anyone say in the pub when they bump into someone, oh, I can't read. You know, yeah. it's, it, Whereas it's almost a badge of honour that said, yeah. I can't do mathematics. Yeah. I can't do maths. And I think in some respects, there's a the conversation goes back to what you said, where there's this starting point somewhere along the line where the young person um, encounters a challenge or, or something that they don't understand or can't do. And somewhere someone feeds that, well, you're not good at maths. You therefore can't do it. And 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 that's that's that whole self-fulfilling prophecy. The reality is that we need to engage our young people at an accessible point. You know, the, the whole zone of proximal development space yep. is, is of critical importance because everyone can access learning. And, and that's, I believe that regardless of what subject we're talking about, yep. but they need to be engaged at a level that is appropriate to them. And I think that speaks to that conversation that we we had a little while ago around what is it that we are trying to equip young people to do in our classroom and and i think that the the reality is that 97 percent of them will go on to not be career mathematicians or put it another way you know three percent of them and I'm, I'm pulling those numbers um, out of my head I've, i don't have a piece of research to say that but you know a small percentage of them will go on to be career mathematicians the vast majority will go on to be users of mathematics and and there's a real distinction in that space for me. And and we need to be looking at equipping both, but we need to be looking at how do we help young people to be competent and confident users of mathematics. Yeah. Um, so that to that point that you said that it's not acceptable to go, I'm not good at maths. Um it, it's it's not and when I say acceptable, I don't mean that in a in a disciplinarian or authoritarian way. I mean it in a it's enriching to have a mathematically um, thinking mind. Well, it, it is because we know things like uh, uh, employment in, in STEM-related industries is growing one and a half times faster than employment in non-STEM-related So, So nothing more is that a lot of people are going to find them in a world, in a, in a job where mathematics will become part of what they do. Hey, um, uh, just going back to... Um, you were identifying some of the challenges and you talked about the, the word, you use the word pivot, which is an overused word, but it's it kind of is what it is. So we've all had to pivot and as your conferences had to pivot from, a, a, you know, face-to-face to online and so we've done that in schools. And so do you think this period of where we've now, and you're in the ACT, I'm in New South Wales, we've got our colleagues in Victoria and who knows when the rest of the states won't join, join in the fun. Do you think this period of remote and blended learning that we're, we're facing is just it's obviously adding extra challenges um, to what teachers are experiencing in your conversation with math teachers what are you hearing back back from them look I think I think one of the significant challenges and and I think there's there's lots of 
there have been lots of benefits and learnings from this time as well. Mm-hmm. And, and and so I, I guess it's important to make sure that we have we have a look through both lenses. I think one of the challenges though has been um in in many respects the disruption that has been created and caused. You know, we've gone through a period of disruption. And and when we've gone through this period of disruption, in many ways, we've been forced back to first principles, if if you like, in terms of what it is we're trying to achieve and do. And so we've almost had to deconstruct education into its composite parts. But the challenge for that, I think, is that educators know that effective and successful education is more than the sum of the composite parts. Right. Mm. So and and I kind of sum that up by saying, um, for me, education is an art, not a science. If it were a science, we would have learned the the formula to make it really effective. And we would have replicated that or scaled it on a mass level and and made education work. Mm. We're a smart race. We would have done that 50, 100 years ago or maybe Mm. even longer. So education is an art. And, and, and therefore, at the centre of education is the teacher, I really believe, and the learner, and, and the relationship that exists there. I really believe of the importance and significance of effective relationships in, in learning and teaching journeys. And I think in many respects, that was the thing that was, if you like, broken first in that initial pivot, to use that word. You know, we, we broke the relationships, we went to remote, we, we struggled to... Um, equip everyone to be at the same level to access at the same point and so we broke education down into its composite parts and said okay what are the important parts that we need to deliver and that was driven often by parental expectation it was driven driven by system expectation it, it maybe even was driven by political expectation and so we focused in on on the learning and the teaching which arguably is the core business of well, it's not even arguably, it's the core business of schools. But those of us who live in school worlds know that schools are much more than just about um, the learning and teaching of the curriculum. There is the huge part of the unseen curriculum that's there. And so I think the challenge, the challenge that was experienced, at least initially, was this whole idea of, and, and you know, Ruben Pandura's summer model really helps. What we tried to do was we tried to use the substitution element mm-hmm. of his model and go, yeah. right, we're going to substitute everything and we're just going to put it behind the screen and we're going to do it. And and I think we probably very quickly learned that we couldn't do that. But it's taken us a while to understand how do we move up that that ladder, if you like, very quickly and how do we redefine what happens when we're sitting in this space? And and look, I I, I look at my kids, three of them. Um, you know, I've got a, a thirteen year old, and need to get this right. Thirteen, eleven, and, and seven. And I look at the difference in their experience of home learning now compared to twelve months ago. Twelve months ago, it was it was we need to keep them busy. Here's all the work. There's worksheets. There's almost busy work. Mm-hmm. Versus now, here's a redefinition of what it looks like to to learn and, and be at home. But I think that journey for teachers has not been without cost, has not been without challenge and has been um, a really tough space to navigate. And so I think the the biggest challenge has been how do you move to that space? How do you sustain it? And what does success look like in that space? Because I think that's that's a challenge. And, And I think if we distill success down into results, 
then we are missing a huge part of the conversation. Yeah, and, and it's obviously been challenging for maths teachers uh, in particular. Um, you know, last year at Textop, we commissioned a, a white paper, um, and I'll put a I'll put a link to the white paper and also a link to the conference and stuff with this podcast. But um, our, the white paper was called "Learning in a Changing Landscape," and uh, we looked at a whole bunch of stuff around what the lock from lockdown globally, but also here in Australia around student engagement. Uh, t- uh, the tools that teacher we, teachers were using, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that we found out of that wipe, uh, that research was that um, last year in Australia, during our first lockdown, teachers in Oz actually down actually they increased their download of edtech tools by 190. percent I mean, they were so desperate to find out. We've gone to this digital environment. How am I going? How am I going to do that? And I think a lot of those teachers were, um, in particular, math teachers, because all of a sudden they've gone from, um, this is I'm really simplifying here, from a pen and paper environment to a, oh my goodness, I've got kids who are online. So, um, so do, well, I'm kind of asking you, do do you see has do you think there's been a, a kind of increase or an expectation more to use edtech tools in math instruction than probably there was before? Um, the pandemic? Um, look, I think that's an interesting question because I, I've heard it said often mm. that maths teachers were maybe late adopters mm. to the tech environment in in schools pre-pandemic. You know, this, yep. this conversation before pandemic, would I've heard it said, and look, my experience um, would be one that doesn't necessarily identify with that. And, and I wouldn't say that I have a whole lot of empirical evidence to support that. But what, what I would say is that I think that that by and large, the journey to integrate technology into a maths classroom is is a challenging one, right? Yeah. Uh, let, let's think about, and, and, I'd, and that's one of the reasons I really like um, the SAMR model. Because if, if we think about um, some other subjects, it's it's easy in inverted commas to move the submission of a an essay or a written assignment from the pen and paper that you referenced yep. to the digital. You know, yep. type it up, submit it. Now, uh, the couple of things I would say there is firstly, it's not necessarily that easy for young people to type math equations and, and maths um, characters up on a computer that's not easy but secondly i asked the question um that's a real example of of substitution in the model yep. where you kind of go from you know just pen and paper to to um typing but you've not actually revolutionized or changed in any way the kind of learning experience i think so i think there was a there was a level you know there was a criticism leveled against math teachers an observation made that maybe they were late adopters or reticent adopters of technology i just think they were different adopters of technology i think about the the kind of online digital calculators i think about the adoption of the ability to to create diagrams that were much more accurate and therefore helped to communicate more effectively to young people and so i suspect that what we saw was an early adoption of mathematics tools that supported instruction in the classroom you know the, the use of geogebra and others to help mm. um, 
help evolve understanding of of key concepts. Um, and so I think that was the the early adoption of of technology. I think the challenge has been and, and remains to some extent of how do you redefine some elements of learning in mathematics because we are in many ways practice driven. We are, you know, automaticity we do know comes from um, repeating things over and over again. And there is a space and a relevance for direct instruction and, and automaticity mm. building in learning mathematics, mm. you know, that practice makes perfect type idea. Mm. There is a place for for inquiry-based learning and, and discovery as well. But the, the challenge is how do we redefine or how do we use technology to enhance that automaticity building, particularly when we talk further up the mathematics learning journey about the importance of working and communication and showing your thinking. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's easy in inverted commas to use technology to support the development of the memorization of multiplication facts, for example, and building automaticity there. Because we can use digital flashcards, we can create you know, some analysis and use AI to understand which multiplication facts are, are well known by the student versus which aren't and, and kind of help to build it that way. But but when it comes to their journey through calculus, for example, and solving a calculus problem, we know that the journey and the communication and the, the thought processes are as important, if not more important, than the final answer. And so I think there there has been a I think it's been more difficult to redefine the learning yeah. in mathematics than it was maybe in some other subjects. Uh, um, but I yeah, don't think that reflects adoption. No, no, and I think you're right. In the SAMR model, as you kind of said, it's it's about redefinition, you know, it's a redefining, it's that kind of and I think I think you're also right that uh it's not one particular content area or subject area that has that is kind of not struggling but kind of really examining how does it use ed tech in in that space i often like to think of ed tech as ict and it can't teach all it does you know it doesn't actually teach it actually is it's a it puts a, a spotlight on your pedagogy how you want and that's what you're kind of talking about is for all of us it's kind of going okay this is i've got these tools that are becoming more and more available i've got to think about how do I actually use them to to you know really really uh, in, inform my instruction and, and, and help students with their learning that kind of stuff? So that's definitely been been the issue. And, and um, I, get, I guess for me, the pandemic uh, and the online learning uh, kind of movement has also it is it it, it has been um, uh, uh, dramatic change it's been this kind of change has happened and it's made us adopt stuff that perhaps we wouldn't have done in the first place but that can be a positive you know uh, um, to actually have change sometimes you've got to have a disruption and that sometimes that disruption can be a bit uncomfortable but from that you you can actually pick out oh, that really oh that, that was fantastic I didn't know I could do that that way and even if I return to my kids to my classroom I'm going to still use some of those mm. tools to support what I'm doing so yeah and I think I think to that point you're, you're absolutely right I think about you know we all know the famous Ken Robinson TED talk that yeah. talks about the industrial industrial model and all that yeah. kind of stuff I, I think the challenge that we had in education pre-pandemic was we just didn't know how and how at scale to move into a, a more flexible model if you like we we mm. didn't know that whole idea of remote flexible learning was a real challenge it wasn't that people and schools and systems were reluctant to it they didn't 
necessarily think that they had the capacity or capability to do it. And and the, the forced disruption of, of COVID and the pandemic actually made them find a way. And what they what I think we've realized is that there are elements of what we've done with remote and and off-site learning that probably is usable and sustainable when we go back to face-to-face. I hope, you know, I I did a, I remember doing a media interview really early in the pandemic and and one of the interviewers asked me a question and I remember saying, much to her kind of surprise, that I really hope that we don't go back to what we had before the pandemic. I, I genuinely mean that. I hope that there have been learnings. I hope that there have been technological adaptations. I hope that there have been pedagogical adaptations. And I hope that what has happened is that 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 has actually added value to the learning experience of our young people. And that there are things that we will want to keep when we get back and get into a post COVID world, you know, and there'll be some things that we won't want to do, but that the, there are there are absolutely elements of it that I think we we will want to maintain and keep and learn and enhance and and, and add value to. And I think on that that disruption piece, um, we are we are disruption is something that we we're going to have to deal with, um, and we probably um, our young people are going to be more. Um, comfortable with disruption than any other generation yeah. before them and, and maybe after them because they, they've they've had to kind of learn to do it so it's it's an interesting conversation um and it's a tough space to be in for so many of us um but it's it's important to also be aware that there are some positives that will come out of it and we will want to use we will and and i guess that's both at a at a teacher level, classroom, but also at a, a school level and institutional level that we hope. Uh, I love that uh, quote. I love a quote from uh, Kathy Davison where she says that inst- institutions are the solution for which they are often the problem. Mm. And so, you know, we hope when we do, when it all, whatever comes out of all this, that uh, those good things are actually, we just don't go back, oh, this is how we've we've always done things. And so we're just going to return to that model. And you can, at all sorts of levels that, you know, the the final exam level right through. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So that kind of brings me uh, to my kind of, I'm really interested to, you've touched on it, but um, it's kind of, if you could, if you had a crystal ball and you could look into the future, as, as the theme of the conference is future proofing. I often like the uh, future building is also another good term that I like, you know, mm-hmm. building for the future. What, what are your thoughts about the future of maths? education in australia <laughs> look i think that's the is, is 64, loaded, loaded the $64 million dollar question isn't it and look i think the reality is that we know that the world is changing and i think arguably we would say that it's changing faster than before or at least at some sort of kind of accelerated rate than before and i think that the the pandemic has pushed us to see the accelerated change that we have been forced to be in. And and to some extent, this has been, this last 18 months has been a bit of a greenhouse that it will be nice to get out of. But I think the, the other thing that's really important as we kind of think about that future proofing is that for me, we're pushing our young people out into a learning economy rather than a knowledge economy. And I think that's that's critically important when we approach and think about the future of learning and teaching, particularly in the STEM subjects um, and, and in maths. Mm. Because, you know, 
40 years ago, knowledge was king. Knowledge was was significantly important. And it was the kind of end point of learning in many ways. Um, knowledge is less significant these days it's not important it's not unimportant it's incredibly important Mm. but it's it's with the advent of the internet and the ability to to get facts and information so rapidly that we're not existing and we're not we're not kind of um, trading in knowledge economy anymore we're trading in um, a learning economy and when i say that i don't want people to hear me say that they are dichotomous that it's either knowledge or learning but what i do think that i'm seeing is that we've shifted to a focus on usability of knowledge transferability of knowledge and so that whole idea of learning to learn is incredibly important that whole idea of giving layer giving meaning and purpose to the learning is incredibly important. You know, one of the one of the things that I and we've spoken lots about the pandemic, and I guess that's the the world that we live in at the moment. But one of the things that I found really, I guess, almost comical, um, and and almost a little bit heartwarming early on in the pandemic was that um, exponential was trending on Twitter, right? The word exponential and exponential functions were trending on Twitter. We had you know the BBC do a 20-minute segment in their six o'clock news about what exponential functions were and how they grew. And and as a mathematician, sorry, as a math teacher and, and you know, dabbler of mathematics, don't think I can call myself a mathematician, but as a math teacher and dabbler of mathematics, that's really exciting and important. And if I'd said to you three years ago, hey, on the 20th of March 2020, the BBC are going to do in their six o'clock news a 20-minute segment on what exponential functions are, you, you probably would have laughed at me and walked off, right? Yeah. And 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 so and and I say that because the reality is that mathematics has, has been incredibly important to the journey of the last 18 months. The, the modeling that has happened, the, the the support for the vaccine development, the rollout, that all of this stuff has been has been reliant so much on mathematics. And I say that to say we our, our need for mathematics continues to grow, continues to change. The role of data science, of technology, of security, of, of all of these applications of mathematics, of biological medicine, of, of epidemiology, of all of these things continues to grow and change at a rate um, that is just accelerating. And so for me, as we think about the future of mathematics learning and we think about the, the future of, of what or what that must look like and how we prepare our young people, we need to be thinking about that that learning economy that we're pushing them into. You know, we know the stats out there about how many careers a young person will have. You know, mm-hmm. just a generation or two before that, you know, my, my, my dad um, retired from a job that he had for his whole career, you know, 45 years or more, and, and had one job, one employer, and and that's what happened. We know that kids will go on and have not just not just multiple jobs, but multiple careers. And so the ability to transfer knowledge, to move it around, to learn, to learn, to, to take it from the known to the unknown. These are all incredibly important skills that are required and, and that employers and, and further and higher education institutions are looking for. And so when we think about the constitution and we, the makeup of our, our classrooms and our pedagogical practice, we need to absolutely have strong knowledge output from maths learning, right? You cannot use 
Pythagoras' theorem in a context if you don't understand Pythagoras' theorem. You cannot apply differential calculus in a contextual setting if you don't understand differential calculus and how mm -hmm. to use it. So it's not A or B, but it is a, a kind of conversation about how do we then build flexibility, build application, build transferability, and build the capacity of young people to make connections in their learning, maybe in ways that they haven't happened before. So, so for me, the, the, the big if if we're talking about future proof, I'm not I'm not worried about so much about what content is in the curriculum. I'm worried about how we help to bring draw connections, to use it, to apply it, to move it around. And I think that's the key to building success in the future. And I think we ought to not be scared about this this conversation about learning loss. You know, we, we we've seen some some really confronting numbers about learning loss from different studies and the media have pushed that. But we, we also know there's a whole other work out there that would suggest that that learning loss is, is not necessarily as significant as we might push it out there to be. And Hattie did some work after the Christchurch the earthquakes that, that people have referred to. And, and so it's really unhelpful for me to distill learning loss down into a number. Some students will have experienced um, knowledge loss during the pandemic that we need to fill the gaps in and that's really really important um there will be the i think there's a, a socioeconomic gap between the, you know the, the gap in learning for some has grown and i think that's a challenge that that we're going to have to deal with but i think we can't um see the future as this fear-based space where we're playing catch-up and trying to do this and that and the other because we need to get into that space of of adding value you know i love that whole concept of of how do we give a kid a year's worth of growth in a year i love that out of the gonski report because that personalizes it down to that kid and so i think i think we need to be careful not to get caught up in the the hamster wheel of filling the learning loss um because i i, I think knowledge loss is maybe a more accurate phrase to be using in that space and knowledge is only useful if you then have a way to use it, apply it, extend it, um, draw conclusions from it, interpret it, all of those things. And so I think that's the future. The future is how we, we build more connectedness in those learning journeys. And I probably avoided answering your question. No, no, you, no, no. I think that's a perfect way to to end, end our chat, actually. And it, it kind of also segues into for me to mention again about the uh, Australian Association of Mathematics Teachers 2021 conference because obviously we're going to be drilling down on, across all these themes during during that conference. Can you uh, can you I don't think you can you remind me or, or, or t tell our listeners the uh, the hashtag for that for the conference this year? Yeah, so you, you'll you'll find details of it um, if you go to our or any of our websites, WMT uh, website searches up or the hashtag WMTecon. Okay. is the, the hashtag and, and 29th 30th of september this year sign up you can join us in your pajamas from the comfort of your own home with your own coffee um, and make connections and, and add value and, and contribute to this conversation because i think one of the things that excites me most about being an educator is the fact that i still get to learn and i think the opportunity for us to learn and grow um, at the moment is is more significant than probably has been across my career because there's so much disruption and from disruption comes the chance to learn. So so um, jump online, um, sign up, join us, come along. Greg's 
presenting, I know. Um, got a whole load of people presenting. Um, have a look on the website, sign up, and um, I hope to see you there. Yeah, perfect. And, and so thanks, thanks, Alan, for joining us today on uh, the Tech Top Talks podcast. And thanks, everyone, uh, for tuning in. Uh, you can tweet us at TechStop using the hashtag TechStop Talks to join the conversation. You might have some thoughts to add to what Alan's been talking about today. And don't forget, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to make sure you catch every next, every new and next episode. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.